It was January 2nd, 1956, when the day arrived that Jim Elliott had waited for all of his life. You see, Jim Elliott, growing up as a young boy in Portland, Oregon, he had heard from missionaries who'd come home from faraway lands and shared the stories about how they had brought the message of Jesus to people who'd never heard it. And Jim Elliott was inspired. Someday he too wanted to go to faraway lands and bring the message of Jesus to people who'd never heard it. And now his opportunity had arrived. After three years of jungle ministry, planning and prepping, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries were planning to fly into Ecuador. And they were going to reach the Alca Indians. Now the Alcas weren't just any group of people. They were incredibly dangerous. In fact, they had killed every outsider ever sent into their territory. But that didn't deter Jim and those other missionaries. They were determined to give their lives to reach the Alcas with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so one day, they found a plot of land nearby. They landed their little plane, and they began to carry out their strategy to reach the Alcas. They built a residence. And soon after that, a man came from the tribe, and he was friendly, and they spent a day with him, and it seemed like everything was going according to plan. Several days later, uh, two women began to approach their residence. And so Jim and the four others, they began gladly to go toward the women, wading through the water. But as they got closer, they saw that these women were not coming on friendly terms. And instantly, men ran out with spears and killed Jim and the four other missionaries. But the story didn't end there. Less than two years Later, the unthinkable happened. Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, and their daughter, as well as Nate Saint, one of the other missionaries, his sister, they went and took up residence with the very tribe of people who had killed the ones they loved. And not long after that, Alcas began to come to Christ. And today, the tribe now known as the Wahadani tribe is filled with Christians. Jim Elliott died, but the gospel bore fruit among the Alka Indians. And, and when the world hears a story like that, it sounds like foolishness. Why would Jim Elliott take that risk? Why would those four missionaries take that risk? And to that, I believe Jim Elliott would say this. He's famous for saying these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I would imagine today, as Jim Elliott and those four other missionaries are up there in glory, they have no regrets about the investment of their lives they made for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because no sacrifice is too great for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The take-home message is this. No sacrifice is too great for a kingdom of supreme worth. No sacrifice is too great for a kingdom of supreme worth. That kingdom we're talking about this morning is the kingdom of heaven. And citizenship in the kingdom of heaven gives you innumerable blessings that this world can never give you. Citizenship in the kingdom of heaven means a relationship with, with Jesus Christ, the King. It means peace with God. It means fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It means salvation and eternal life. It means joy through all circumstances. Deep and lasting. 
satisfaction, inexhaustible grace, daily wisdom. And I could go on and on about the innumerable blessings citizenship in the kingdom of heaven gives us. And when you hold up the things that the world holds dear to that, they fail in comparison. What in this life could possibly compare in value to citizenship in the kingdom of heaven? Nothing. That's the point of these parables. These parables teach us what the Bible also says. When it says, what good is it if you gain the whole world, yet lose your own soul? Nothing compares to Christ and his kingdom. And Jim and those four missionaries, when they were confronted with that, it revealed the true treasure of their hearts and they gave everything for it. And when we're confronted with the kingdom of heaven, it reveals the true treasure of our hearts. Do we, like the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, go away sorrowfully because of our great possessions? Or can we say with Peter, look, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. I hope at Prairie Bible Church we can be like Peter, willing to give up everything for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to walk through these parables verse by verse, but first, look at verse 44 with me. I'm going to read them in full. Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus connects these parables with that word again in verse 45. So he's, he's teaching us lessons from both of these parables, similar lessons. And we're going to see three lessons this morning in these parables. Here's the first one. God graciously pursues the lost. For everyone here this morning who is a believer in Jesus Christ It's not a story about how you pursued God. It's a story about how God pursued you. It's not a story about what we have done. It's a story about what God has done in sending His Son, Jesus Christ. We serve the God who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. And in these parables, we see a gracious God graciously pursuing the lost. In verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Now, there are many similarities in these parables, but I see one very striking difference right here. While in the parable of the merchant, we find a merchant who is in search of fine pearls, but this man, he's not even looking for treasure. He's out in a field, and he stumbles upon treasure. You see, in ancient Israel, they didn't use banks. They buried their treasure in the field. And people would sometimes die with their treasure still in the ground so that treasure could be found at later dates. But treasure would be so well hidden that it was like hitting the lottery to find it. It was a one in a million chance. And this man is out in this field and he stumbles upon this treasure. This was likely a poor man, a peasant, a day laborer working out in the field. And this is a beautiful picture of God's gracious pursuit of us. When we were lost, but now we're found. This man, not even looking for anything, stumbles upon the miracle of something that changes his life forever. It reminds me of a man we learn about in the Gospels named Zacchaeus. Uh, Maybe you grew up in Sunday school singing a song about Zacchaeus, that he was a wee little man, 
and he climbed a sycamore tree. I won't sing that song for you. You don't want me to do that. I don't want to do that. But let me tell you the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. And so Zacchaeus had money to spare. But the truth is, even though he had money, he was a poor, poor man. You see, tax collectors, they were the worst of the worst in society. They were stigmatized. They were looked down upon, and rightfully so. Often they would partner with the Roman government to collect taxes from their own people. They would get rich by extorting their own people. And whatever they had left over after giving the the taxes to Rome, they would keep for themselves, get rich, and live lavish lifestyles. So Zacchaeus might have been rich, but he burned every relationship he had to get there. He was a poor man, an isolated man. He probably felt condemned. And one day he hears about this interesting man named Jesus passing through Jericho. And at this point, Jesus wasn't passing through alone. He had a big crowd around him. And Zacchaeus is short. So what does he do? Well, he goes and climbs a sycamore tree just to get a look at this man, Jesus. And as Jesus is passing by, the unthinkable happens. Jesus looks up and calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus! Now you can only imagine what was going through Zacchaeus' mind at this point. Oh no, here comes another guy to condemn me. Zacchaeus, you little man with big sins. That's not what Jesus said. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, I condemn you. That might have been what everybody else was saying. That might have been what the religious leaders were saying. That's not what Jesus said. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Jesus didn't shatter Zacchaeus. He melted Zacchaeus. He didn't shatter Zacchaeus with condemnation. He melted him with kindness. Zacchaeus was a lost man. And everybody was busy condemning him. Not Jesus. Jesus loved him. And Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Only Jesus can get away with that, right? And so Zacchaeus, he joyfully comes down the tree. Jesus comes over to his house. And something amazing happens. Zacchaeus says, half of my money I'll give to the poor. And anyone I've extorted, I'll pay back fourfold. And Jesus says to that, salvation has come to this house. This too is a child of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I don't know what Zacchaeus expected when he climbed up that tree, but I guarantee you he didn't expect what happened when Jesus came to his house. And even though people were around grumbling about Jesus eating with the sinner, Jesus loved Zacchaeus. And Jesus' love, that kindness, led to repentance. We serve a God who graciously pursues the lost. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe someone dragged you to church this morning. Maybe you're just going through the motions. You're not even looking for treasure. And now you're hearing about this man named Jesus who can change your life forever. Maybe you're here this morning and even though you didn't plan on hearing the gospel, now you're holding up uh, your life to these things you hear the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven gives you and you're finding your life wanting. Just like that man who found the treasure. Just like Zacchaeus when confronted with Christ. And I just want to plead with you this morning. Make the best decision, the most important decision you could ever make in your life. Give your life to Jesus Christ this morning if you've never done that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this. That a man named Jesus of Nazareth 2,000 years ago came to earth. 
He lived a perfect and sinless life. And he was unjustly put to death on a Roman cross, kind of like our electric chair today. He was executed unjustly. But death could not hold Jesus down. He rose again after three days. And that might sound crazy to you, but he appeared to many people. Many people saw him. His followers saw him. And then he ascended to heaven, where today, as I preach this sermon, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, where all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And someday he's coming back. When every knee will bow, And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, how could the Son of God be killed on a cross by people? Well, he did it willingly. He did it willingly, and here's why he did it. He did it to pay the penalty for our sins. You see, God is infinitely loving, but he's also infinitely holy. And we have all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can make the cut. None of us can do enough good things to reach heaven. And so a penalty had to be paid for our sin. But while God is infinitely holy and just, He is also infinitely loving. In the most infinitely loving act in all of human history, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sin. Not while we were doing so good, but while we were still sinners. He did that. As one pastor put it, Jesus didn't just die to make bad people good. He died to make dead people alive. If you've never committed your life to Christ this morning, come to him. He's alive. And your eyes will be open for the first time. And your heart will be satisfied for the first time. Now when we come to Jesus, he says, come as you are. You don't have to pick up all the pieces. He'll do that. But when you get there, he won't let you stay as you are. You will receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will begin to clean up the dark places of your heart. And that's a lifelong process. We're all in that process, all of us who've given our lives to Christ. These parables begin where the gospel begins, with God's pursuit of us. God graciously pursues the lost. Here's the next lesson. People are earnestly searching for true meaning. People are earnestly searching for true meaning. Look at verse 45. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So just like in that first parable, the man wasn't looking for anything. Here's here's the difference. This merchant, he's searching. He is searching for that one fine pearl. And this represents how in this life, in this world, many aren't just searching, they're earnestly searching. And they're not just earnestly searching for meaning. I mean, I guess there's a lot of things in life that have some meaning. No, they're searching for true meaning, for something that can eternally satisfy their soul. And only Jesus can do that. And this merchant, he may have been a wealthy man who devoted his life to finding the choice pearl. And when he did, it didn't matter how much money he had, he gave it all up to have that pearl because no cost, no investment was too great for that pearl. And that pearl represents citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. You know, if that first man reminded me of Zacchaeus, this man reminds me of a man named Nicodemus. Maybe you've heard of Nicodemus. In the gospel of John, in John chapter 3, we're introduced to Nicodemus. And it says about him, he's not just a teacher in Israel, he's the teacher in Israel. 
right? He's the big dog. He's the top guy. He had climbed the, the ladder of society. He was wealthy. He had the esteem of his colleagues. He was respected. He had everything you could want in this life, but he was dissatisfied. He knew deep down when he went to sleep at night, something was missing. Something was missing. And the reason we know that is because in John chapter 3, it says that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. I find that interesting. He came to Jesus by night. He couldn't resist going to Jesus, but he had too much to lose. He didn't want his peers to see him, but he goes to Jesus. And it's in that famous chapter of John 3 that Jesus shares the gospel with Nicodemus and with us. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish, but should have eternal life. He shared that with Nicodemus. And that had an impact on Nicodemus. We see this man two more times in the Gospel of John. At the end of John 7, when the religious leaders are condemning Jesus, Nicodemus stands up against his peers, the most powerful people among the Jews, and defends Jesus. And they revile him. And then at the very end of the Gospel of John, we hear from Nicodemus again as he is helping with the burial of Jesus' body, thus sealing his discipleship, that he too is a child of Abraham. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're the person who's given your whole life or are in the process of giving your whole life to climb the ladder of society, to get rich, to be respected, to be famous, to climb the corporate ladder. But deep down, you're dissatisfied. Deep down, you know that that's never going to satisfy your heart like Nicodemus. And maybe you're here like that this morning. I want to invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom where we see and then we believe. No, we believe. We take that step of faith. We give our lives to Christ and then we see everything clearly. Then everything changes. You know, this parable also reminds us that those around us are in a desperate search for true meaning, in desperate search for the fine pearl. I know what it's like when you're sitting next to that person on the airplane or you run into that person and and God puts it on your heart. Hey, maybe start a conversation. Let's see where it goes. Maybe we'll end up sharing the message, Jesus is alive, right? I know how that feels. Well, what are they going to think of me? They're going to think I'm crazy, right? Well, I think sometimes when we're so bent in on ourselves, we fail to realize that that person might be the person God sent you to because they're desperately searching like this merchant for true meaning. Who are those people in your life that you work with, in your family, your friends, who you can just see it, that they're desperately searching? And they need to hear about Christ. I know it can be scary to share the gospel, but all you got to tell them is this. Jesus is alive and he changed my life. And he can change yours too. People are earnestly searching for true meaning. And here's the final lesson. Believers gladly sacrifice all for the kingdom. Let me say that again. Believers gladly sacrifice all for the kingdom. Notice how each person responds. And notice what's similar about their response as I read through these parables. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. 
Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Listen, these men, they came from different backgrounds. One was poor, one was ostracized, one was fighting for his next meal, one was rich. One was searching, one wasn't. They probably came from different families. They probably came from different backgrounds. But the response when confronted with the treasure of the gospel is the same. Because this is how true disciples of Jesus Christ respond to citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. They count all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. This is how we should all respond with open hands. Lord, whatever you want, my heart is willing. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, Billy, I'm never going to be Jim Elliott. I don't think I'm ever going to Ecuador to be a missionary. Or I'm never going to be Paul. I mean, have you read about that guy's life? I can't do that. I'm never going to be Peter. Well, I'm not asking you to be Jim Elliott or Peter or Paul. Here's what I'm asking you this morning. What has God called you to do? What has he called you to do? It might not be big. It might seem small. But we all got to start somewhere, don't we? And if you can't be trusted with a little, you can't be trusted with much anyway. So what has God called you to do? Now, the scary thing is, I've found in my own life that I can say no and miss out on those opportunities. I got my start in ministry in Michigan at a church, and I started off by working with young adults. And at the church I was at, something we would do every year, it was called the Vertical Men's Rally, and, and we would go out in the woods, and it would be like a men's ministry event. Now I got a level with you this morning. I hate camping, okay? <laughs> there, I said it. I hate camping, but I went, you know, because we had a group to, to go out there with, and you know, we're staying in this cabin, and it's going fine, and I'm getting great time with, with our guys, but about a day in, a great temptation comes before me. One of the staff people, he said, hey, you know, I got to leave, but you can take my bed if you want. And he had a really nice bed. <laughs> you want to know what I did? I said, no, I'm here to serve Christ. No, that's not what I did. I took the bed. And I had all types of justifications. Like, Lord, look at everything I do for these guys all year. Look at all I do for you. As if coming to the God of the universe who does everything for everyone is very impressed by my service. And so I spent the time with those guys, and then at night I slept in that bed. And looking back, I deeply regret saying no. I chose comfort over the kingdom. And I may have missed out on very important conversations I could have had with those guys because I wanted comfort. I found that often when God puts things before us, we count the cost of saying yes more than we count the cost of saying no. The cost of saying yes for me was a few uncomfortable nights. The cost of saying no for me was maybe seeing huge spiritual fruit begin to, to bloom in those young men's lives. And I'll never get that chance back. Now God continues to put chances in my path just like he does for you. But I want to plead with you this morning. Follower of Jesus Christ, say yes to the, uh, the discomfort. When God tells you to get uncomfortable and do something for him, say yes. 
He knows what's best for you. He has his glory and your greatest good in mind. I think it's pretty fitting that we're talking about these things with next Wednesday being Ash Wednesday, isn't it? Next Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, we're going to have a service here at 6.30 p.m. We're going to be building on this. We're going to be talking about Hebrews 12. And this is a season, Ash Wednesday is a season, where we remember that we are dust. To dust we shall return. It's a humbling season. But it's also a season to look at our lives and say, Lord, my hands are open. Where have I gotten off balance? And so I hope you'll be asking yourself those questions uh, in this next week. And I just want to leave you with three take-home questions uh, as we get ready to close. Here's the first one. Is Jesus my Lord? Is Christ my Lord? You know, the gospel is that Jesus came to save us from our sins. He is our Savior, but He's also our Lord. He also takes command of our lives, and He drives the wheel of our lives. Are you struggling with that? That's not easy, is it? To let Jesus be Lord? But again, I want to plead with you this morning. Jesus is your Savior. Make Him your Lord. He needs to be both. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's question two. What areas of my life are off limits? You know, in Matthew 19, we heard about this guy, the rich young ruler. He was a pious man, a righteous man, and he'd gotten rich. And he came to Jesus, and he wanted to be perfect. And so Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go and sell everything that you have and come and follow me. The issue wasn't that he had money, it's that money had him. The issue wasn't that he had possessions, it's that the possessions had his heart. And he wouldn't part with his possessions. Instead, he went away sorrowful. Why? Because that area of his life was off limits. He closed his hand around that. And Jesus was prying to open his hand, knowing that it would lead to more joy for him. And he was unwilling what areas of our life are we treating like that? Peter later in that same chapter said, we've left everything to follow you. And that needs to be our heart as followers of Jesus Christ. We are called to Jesus with open hands, not closed hands. Jesus might not ask you to sell everything you have or to go to Ecuador or to do something like that. But we need to be willing to do whatever he asks us to do. Don't let any area of your life be off limits. Here's the last question I want to leave you with. Have I fully grasped the riches of knowing Christ? I would contend with you this morning that the reason the rich young ruler left is not because his things were so great. He hadn't fully grasped how great a life of following Christ really is. Peace with God. Daily wisdom, inexhaustible grace, joy in all circumstances, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you really understand what you have in Christ, none of this stuff really matters, does it? We need to wrestle with all the blessings that we have in Christ, and that will help us not hold things in this world so dear. Band, you can come up. The last thing I would say is the, the way that me and Craig always try to close our sermons. Have you given your life to Christ? If you don't give your life to Christ, none of this will work for you. In Romans 10.9, it says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Have you made that decision? If you haven't, 
All you need to say is, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I give you my life. I make you my Lord. And you'll never be the same again. I'm going to be over in the prayer room if any of you needs prayer this morning.